Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thanks so much for joining me today as we continue our investigation. So many threads this week, friends. We have talked about debutantes and the Duchesses of Devonshire and the American girls making an impact across the pond. We've talked about the Kennedy family, Joe Kennedy and Rose Kennedy and Joe's fling with Gloria Swanson. We've talked about Jack Kennedy and Jackie and Marilyn Monroe. We've talked about Patricia Kennedy and Bobby too. From what our man Nick had to say, along with so many other Kennedy intersections throughout our journey, there is no better time to bring it all together today here with the story of Kathleen Kennedy known as Kick and what a kick she was. Kit Kennedy had that thing, hence our episode title for this one, borrowing from the 1920s Cole Porter classic, You've Got That Thing. Before we get into Kit's story, and the story of her family too, I have a shiny spyglass with some enormous thanks and praise to give to a few folks out there. Jody Eleven, I got your very kind five-star review from the land down under, thank you so much. To our newest supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done, Ashley C, Michelle M, and Diane T. Holy cats, you are so much appreciated. Big thanks to y'all and the whole Patreon community. And big thanks to you for coming back to spend your time with me this week for the first of a two-episode arc. You know me, I get to investigating the story sometimes goes a little long. It is to the life of Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, kick the most effervescent member of the Kennedy clan and connected into it in so many ways. What an incredible spirit, Kick Kennedy. I don't know if you get to really know Kick, though, without getting to know her family. Sure, Kick is an American girl marrying into the British aristocracy. She makes quite an impact before her early death, only one of the tragedies to befall the Kennedy family in the 1940s and beyond. The blurb from the Scribd.com site for Barbara Leeming's book, which is truly incredible, it's called Kit Kennedy, The Charmed Life and the Tragic Death of the Favorite Kennedy Daughter. This intro bit does a great job of introducing Kit, our main character today, although her supporting cast is pretty large. From the book description, Kathleen Kit Kennedy was the incandescent life force of the fabled Kennedy family. Her father's acknowledged favorite of all the children and her brother Jack's psychological twin. She was the Kennedy of Kennedys, sure of her privilege, magnetically charming, and somehow not quite like anyone else on whatever stage she happened to grace. The daughter of the American ambassador to the court of St. James, Kick swept into British aristocracy like a fresh wind on a sweltering summer day. In a decaying world where everything was based on stultifying sameness and similarity, she was gloriously, exhilaratingly different. Kick was the girl in the room whom all the boys fell in love with, the girl who remained painfully out of reach for most of them. To Kick, Everything about this life was fun and amusing, until suddenly it was not. For this is also a story of how a girl like Kick, a girl who had everything, a girl who seemed made for happiness, confronted crushing sadness. 
Willing to pay the price for choosing the love she wanted, she would have to face the consequences of forsaking much that was dear to her. Let's investigate. amazing soul in this world, Kit Kennedy, she definitely had that thing. Kathleen Agnes Kennedy was born February 20th, 1920. Kit was the fourth child and second daughter of Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. and his wife, Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy. Kit was known as her father's favorite child. She was raised in the large, wealthy, and raucous Kennedy family, along with her eight siblings. We have talked about a number of the Kennedy kids, as well as their parents, Joe and Rose, throughout our investigation, and how all these personalities have connected to our man, Nick. Some definite parallels and spiderwebs here. The Kennedys, just like the Dunns, were a big Catholic family. What I mean to tell you is that Rose and Joe have nine kids in 17 years. Just breaking down the numbers, folks. This is a child about every 22 months, just with math. It doesn't quite roll like that on the 22-month exactly, but Rose Kennedy, nine kids, 17 years, just wowza. A lot is happening until it is not. But from the top, let's go down the list of the Kennedy kids. Joe Jr., Uh, Joseph P. Kennedy Jr., oldest son named after his father, Joe Jr. was born July 25, 1915, and Joe is the handsome, winning, everything son. Joe Jr. attends Choate in Connecticut, then he's on to the London School of Economics before Joe attends Harvard, where he will graduate cum laude in 1938. Joe Jr. is a big deal to his parents and to all of his siblings. Sadly, Joe will die in 1944 in the war, and it is a tragedy to the family. Many counted as number one in the so-called Kennedy curse, but I beg to differ. We're going to follow back up with Joe Jr., our first son and our golden child, soon enough. Let's continue down our list with kiddo number two. Next up is John Fitzgerald, Jack. Born May 29, 1917. Jack comes in a little less than two years after Joe, and we've spent plenty of time on JFK within our investigation. Jack grows up right alongside his brother Joe, who is everything. Jack is the Henry VIII to Joe Jr.'s Prince Arthur. Like, primogeniture still for real. Jack is always a little less of everything than the glorious can-do-no-wrong Joe. Joe is taller, he's physically larger, he's more athletic, but hey, the Kennedys always stick together. Doesn't matter, Jack's a little less than. We got two boys, brothers, continuing on. Third child, oh, Sweet Rosemary. Sweet Rosemary is the first daughter, the third child born to Rose and Joe, and in so many ways I think is key to unlocking the family dynamics within the nine Kennedy children and 
the dynamics with Joe and Rose, too. There is another wonderful book I can recommend, Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter by Kate Larson. This, along with all sources, are in the recommended readings and sources list on the doneanddone.com website. Rosemary, born September the 13th, 1918. She is 16 months away from her next oldest brother, Jack. Rose Kennedy has a very difficult birth with Rosemary, made much more difficult by a number of things, way more complicated than it needed to be. If we roll back to the fall of 1918, the country, the United States, is in the middle of a pandemic outbreak with the Spanish flu. And Boston, that particular season, is having a really difficult autumn fighting the outbreak. There was a nurse in attendance with Rose, and that nurse was trained to deliver a child at home, but the nurse was also trained to hold a baby in. Why would you want to hold a child in? Because if the baby waits for the doctor in order to be born, then the doctor gets to make his cash for the delivery. The nurse has Rose Kennedy hold Rosemary in for two hours after her water is broken, no pushing, no attempt to deliver the child, simply waiting for the doctor to arrive. The doctor will arrive, and Rosemary is finally blessedly born, and Rose is delighted to have a daughter after two sons. And Rosemary is really a very tender child. She's calm and sweet, but Rose, her mom, is noticing that Rosemary is not doing the same thing at the same ages as her brothers were. And initially it appears to Rose that it could be chalked up to Rosemary's a girl, and I'm sure that explains it. Boys are a little bit more rambunctious and all that. But then Rose Kennedy has more kids, so many more kids. And her children at younger ages are outpacing Rosemary in the things that Schools and parents and people notice. Rose and Joe will have Rosemary tested at school for her IQ, and it is a low number. Rosemary will be held back in kindergarten. Around this time, the family moves from Massachusetts to New York City in the rise of Papa Joe, and Rosemary will change schools. And the school she's going to, the teachers of the day, the entire system just they're not prepared or able to accommodate the classroom and learners in a way that we have progressed to in current times. It's not hard to imagine that Rosemary is frustrated. Joe and Rose are frustrated. Rosemary's teachers and school administrations are frustrated. Rosemary is given private tutors to help her along both mentally and physically. But here's the thing. Every single sibling that comes along in the Kennedy family is raised to accommodate for Rosemary in the family in every single way. Rosemary is always included in every single thing the family does. Family first is one of the foremost rules. We Kennedys leave none of us behind. Moving down the line of Kennedy kids, we have kiddo number four, Kathleen Kick. Again, born February 20th, 1920, there is a year and a half between Rosemary and Kick. 
That's for so many kids. Let's talk about the next five for a moment before we bring it all together. Next up, kiddo five, a daughter, Eunice, born July 10th, 1921. Eunice is born 16 months away from her sister, Kick. And the thing that I want you to know about Eunice, she is incredibly close to Rosemary growing up. Eunice will marry Sergeant Shriver in 1953, and Eunice will found Camp Shriver in 1962, which will evolve into the Special Olympics in 1968. Child number six, Patricia, born in 1924 and much discussed on Done and Done in the Marilyn Monroe episodes. Remember that Patricia Kennedy was married to Peter Lawford for about a decade. These two had some interesting times. Another Dominic Dunn fact here, Remember that Peter and Patricia were married the very same day, April 24th, 1954, that Dominic married his wife, Lenny, with each couple's marriages lasting about the same amount of time, about a decade. Dominic Dunn would like to remind you about how thrilled he was that his wedding got as many inches in the New York Times as Patricia Kennedy's did. Child number seven, back to a son here. This is going to make the count three boys and four girls in 1925 when Robert is born on November the 20th. We have heard much about Bobby in a few episodes as well. Bobby will marry Ethel Skakel in 1950, that wedding attended by our man Nick as well. Another daughter comes along next, Jean, born February 20th, 1928. There's a little bit of time between Jean and Bobby. Jean will go on to marry Stephen Smith in 1956, and Jean Kennedy will serve as ambassador to Ireland in the Clinton administration from 1993 to 1998. Last but not least, February the 22nd, 1932, we have kid number nine, Edward Moore Kennedy, Teddy to the family, and in later life, we will come to know him as the Lion of the Senate, also involved in a pretty shattering tragedy in Chappaquiddick in 1969, resulting in the death of Mary Jo Kopechny, devoted aide to Teddy's brother, Robert. Dominic Dunn and Ted Kennedy do pass away on the same weekend in August of 2009, Dominic Dunn just really can't seem to get away from the Kennedy family. We do have a little bit more talking to do about Teddy and the Kennedy compound in Palm Beach, but I did want to pull this particular paragraph from our man Nick, written for Vanity Fair in a piece called Damage, published October of 1991. Just a few really poignant, meaningful sentences from Dominic Dunn writing here about Ted Kennedy. How would you like to have Teddy Kennedy's dreams? A network news person asked me recently. The litany of his tragedies is overwhelming. Those that have been inflicted upon him and those that he has brought upon himself. He has followed too many caskets down too many church aisles. He has given too many eulogies. He has played parent to too many orphaned nieces and nephews. He has lived recklessly, performed brilliantly in Congress, and often failed miserably in life. When he was young, hopes for him were high. 
He's the one who should be president, they said of Ted. He's the one who's got it all. Oh, friends, how this story shifts and evolves through time. This is just part one of our arc, though, and for now I want you to know that Teddy is the last of the nine kids, and pretty much by the time that Teddy is born in 1932, it is communicated to Joe Kennedy by his wife Rose that there will be no more children. Although Rose and Joe do remain as a couple very devoted to each other, in the way in which they are devoted to each other. The shift here is there is really no longer the ambition of working towards a family. By 1932, for Rose Kennedy, nine is enough. Her family is in place. Oh, and what a family. Lots of togetherness. No one likes the Kennedys more than the Kennedys do. So many kids through so many years. But here I want to back up our story to Rosemary again. Bring her back to 1929. At this point, Rosemary would be about 10 or 11. And in this year, Rosemary is sent to the Devereux School in Philadelphia. It is opened and operated by an educator who has been very successful in her field, but Rosemary is really, really lonely away from her family. Here she's in a special residential school. She'll spend two years at Devereux learning to read and write, attaining perhaps a third or fourth grade education. But Rosemary is developmentally delayed, emotionally delayed too. Her letters from the Devereux school are truly heartbreaking. Papa Joe is always daddy. Rose is always mother, a definitive difference in the way that Rosemary addresses each of her parents. But in these letters, y'all, all Rosemary wants to do is come home. She cannot understand why she's being punished and kept away from her close-knit family, which has always been her safety net of support for her whole life. Rosemary is not progressing like her parents want her to. And Rose and Joe will blame Rosemary. They'll blame schools. The two of them will spend the next few years moving Rosemary around to five more schools in the coming years. And like other schools, these schools are not really equipped to assist Rosemary with her needs. More problematically, in many of these schools, Joe and Rose don't even tell the schools that Rosemary will need additional support. They just drop Rosemary off and leave the school to figure it out. And to be fair, no private Catholic school is about to upset the most famous and revered Catholic family in the United States. Rosemary suffers for all of it. Rosemary's happiest times are on long vacations and summertime breaks. She will have some happiness in the 1930s. During these times, Rosemary's reunited back with her family. Holidays, summertime, wonderful. But going back to school after these breaks becomes harder and harder. Rosemary is now going into rages. She's growing up a little too. She's beautiful. She's simply lovely. And she's also prone to wander. 
She would take off from schools intermittently, be found in town at the candy shop or hanging out with boys, and Joe and Rose, whoa, if being honest with the schools, could have supported their daughter Rosemary with a little bit more help, but Rosemary's simply out of her element in these institutions. Joe will take her to numerous doctors as well, oftentimes for, I say this loosely, hormone treatments. No one's real sure what's in them. This is all very dubious and very sad. The treatment that Rosemary gets within the 1930s outside of those magical holiday breaks. The even more tragic part is that it will get worse for Rosemary. But hey, I promised you a story about Kick Kennedy. But I have to reiterate, those Kennedys stick together. There's not one without all of them. Rosemary and Kick being so close in age and right next to each other, portions of this tale very much are a tale of two sisters. Oh, sweet Kick. Kick was raised to be a devout Catholic. She will attend convent schools both in the United States and in France up to about the age of 13. What happens at 13? Kick, who loves to play sports and gets along just fine with boys because she's got all the brothers, Kick is going to start gaining some attention from boys. And this will not do for Mama Rose, and it is off to boarding school. Kick goes along with some of her other sisters. As a child, I want you to know that Kick is really loyal to her mother. Kick also will openly criticize her father's infidelities. She will refuse to join Jack and Joe when they get to ridiculing Rose for what have you. And Kick is really close to both of her older brothers, but again, particularly close to Jack and his group of friends. Kick and Jack share a truly close kind of otherworldly bond. How is it phrased in that book blurb? Psychological twin. Let us progress in our story to the year 1938, with Papa Joe being appointed ambassador to Great Britain. This is Papa Joe's reward for supporting Roosevelt in his presidential bid. And Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy, woohoo! She's been waiting for this her whole life. She's the daughter of a politician, after all, honey fits, and Rose knows how to do this and do it well. Rose and her family are moving on up in the world. Hello, London. Rose knows what an excellent opportunity this is for all of her children, but most especially her oldest sons and daughters. In 1938, when Kick is 18 years old, Dad is appointed U.S. Ambassador to the Court of St. James. At this time, Joe Kennedy's presidential aspirations are still alive and well. He will take his family to London, and wowza, they all make quite an impression on British society. Will Swift, the author of The Kennedys Amidst the Gathering Storm, A Thousand Days in London, 1938 to 1940, does give a talk at the JFK Library. This is June 2008, and I'm going to pull a few quotes from this Will Swift does capture so much of the Kennedy family's time in London in this period. This is Will Swift just sort of addressing this time period. 
First of all, before the Kennedys went to London, the word went out in British aristocratic and social circles. These are friends of Roosevelt. This family, particularly Joe Kennedy, represent our chances for Anglo-American unity as we face the trials that are coming our way from Europe, and particularly from Germany. And so, welcome this family with totally open arms in every circle. And interestingly enough, at this time, the British were a little bored with King George VI and Queen Elizabeth and their two daughters because they had been so used to Edward VII, who was quite spicy and charismatic. When they started to see pictures in the papers of the Kennedy family with their wonderful smiles and their charm and their handsome faces, they fell in love with the Kennedys, who took London by storm. Will Swift continues a little on Kit here. Among the four oldest kids, Kathleen, who was known as Kick, and I love that nickname for her because it really captures her, had such an ebullient spirit. She got a kick out of everything. Kit came over early with some of her younger siblings. Joe Jr. and Jack, the two oldest, were still at Harvard, so they didn't come over until classes ended at the end of June. Their father returned to the U.S. and brought them back. But Kick came over with Eunice and Rosemary in the spring of 1938, just in time for the arcane ritual of the London season, which was really quite extraordinary. So you could not ah, dream a more American-looking family. What did Will Swift say? Wonderful smiles, charm, and handsome faces, right? Big grins, so many fresh-faced kids, and... Whoa, once Joe and Jack arrive, Kick, added in, are in the tabloids all every day. And remember, they're all very close. I have a little bit more here from Will Swift that I think lends a little bit to being some kind of center for her older brother's Kick was. Will Swift is asked in this presentation about Kick's relationship with her older brothers, Joe and Jack, and most especially about that bond with Jack. Will Swift says, Kick and Jack were extremely close, and they shared a number of things in common. They had a detached and witty style that was very appealing. Many people wanted to date them because they were so alluring. You know, when somebody is charming but a little distant, people get very interested in getting close to them. Kick and Jack were very much like that, and they were great friends. Kick went over a few months before Jack and became friends with a group of kids who were at the heart of the British aristocracy, not just Billy Hardington, but David Ormsby Gore and some of the Cavendish and Salisbury cousins. When Jack came over, she welcomed him into the circle of some of the greatest young political minds in England. On his second night in London, she took him to a party at Londonderry House, which was the home of the dominating and fascinating Lord and Lady Londonderry, who were the cousins of Winston Churchill. At these parties, politicians would gather to discuss the great issues of the day, the conflict between honor and pragmatism in foreign relations. Jack, of course, was absolutely in his glory. Kick was really his lead-in to the people who expanded his mind. I really can't tell you how much Great Britain loves the Kennedys. The press, the aristocracy, they're a hit. 
And let me tell you how much the Kennedys really love Great Britain. Kick and Rosemary will be presented at court in May of this same year. They land in the spring. They're dubbing in May. It is quite the whirlwind. There are a number of things to learn very quickly. The correct curtsy, the right words, the protocol of the pomp and circumstance, so to speak. Both Rosemary and Kick get a crash course in debutante. But they make it happen. In May 1938, Kathleen and Rosemary are formally presented at court to King George VI and Queen Elizabeth. Rose Kennedy looks very proud with her girls sporting their three plumes of the Prince of Wales. Rosemary here is lovely, very photogenic, and will attend the whirlwind that is the debutante season, but with Kick or Eunice or her mom Rose to attend her. They will each help Rosemary out in social situations. Joe and Jack will fill Rosemary's dance card. And Rosemary is a young woman watching social cues in the places around her really enjoys having fun and flirting at parties. She doesn't quite understand why things are different for her at parties compared to other girls. Everyone's really helping Rosemary out in this season, but Joe and Rose, always terrified that people are going to somehow find out that Rosemary is different. And because of her differences, the Kennedy family will be judged on that. Eventually, Rosemary is withdrawn from the social scene. She'll begin to stay home more and more and eventually be enrolled in a convent school in England. Rosemary is 20 years old at this time. This convent school will do wonders for Rosemary. It is opened by Mother Isabel Eugenie, who was trained by Maria Montessori. And the Montessori concepts are applied in this institution and Honestly, y'all, Rosemary's doing great. She is achieving attainable goals in a very supportive environment for her. And I'm going to keep Rosemary here doing well in this tale of two sisters and go back to Kick here, who is also in her debutante season. And whoa, you have never seen anything like Kit Kennedy. She is taking London and its environs by storm. Kit Kennedy, I mean, she's just incredible. She's a spirit, a sprite, a joy by all accounts. She's got that thing, whatever that thing is. Kick is a star. She is extraordinarily popular among the young British aristocratic society. British men find her immensely attractive. And although Kick is not conventionally beautiful, she was outgoing and confident in a way that the wealthy British debutantes of the time just were not. Kick would banter with the boys, laugh at their jokes, make teasing remarks to them, while her British female counterparts shyly hung back, maybe observed more than participated. Kick's winning spirit will get her the coveted honor of debutante of the year in 1938, and it's a big deal. Folks, Kick was an enormous success in London, but I feel that Kick was an enormous success pretty much anywhere she went. Kick is willing to have fun and laugh at herself, all the while still being fiercely independent and opinionated, too. 
Kick will prove herself to be a jolly good fellow on just about every occasion. She was known to kick off her shoes at times that were sometimes not appropriate, and one evening at Hatfield House for a grand party, all of Kick's left shoes just go missing. This is a prank, probably meant to teach this American upstart a lesson, but no matter, Kick just puts on two right shoes, one white and one black, and heads on down to dinner. Kick is known as tough, but what other choice is there in a family where the very first rule is Kennedys don't cry? It was the American-born Nancy Astor who took it upon herself to make sure that Kick got the proper introduction and entry into young British aristocratic society. On a side note here, Nancy Astor was the first woman in the House of Commons. Sweet Nancy will invite Kick to a weekend country house party at the Astor Estate of Cliveden in Buckinghamshire. Lady Astor assigned Lady Jean Ogilvie, this is the daughter of the Earl of Arley, to take Kick under her wing. Ogilvie later fondly remembered that Kick didn't need any looking after. Among the attendees that weekend were Jakey and Michael Astor, David Ormsby Gore, Andrew Cavendish, the future husband of Deborah Mitford, Lady Jean Ogilvie, and Hugh Fraser. At this party, it was Andrew Cavendish, the second son of the Duke of Devonshire and the younger brother of Kick's future husband, William Cavendish. At this party, it was Andrew that decided he wanted to claim Kick. This particular country house weekend cemented Kick's place in London. She was immediately embraced by the aristocratic cousinhood, which was usually completely closed to any outsiders. I want to put in a quick note here about David Ormsby Gore. It's too good not to mention this is from Will Swift in a nice little anecdote. Fred Tice interviewing Will. Will ask, you mentioned David Ormsby Gore. Of course, he began a friendship with John Kennedy and they would meet later. Will Swift responds, absolutely. They continued their friendship. Senator Kennedy told me an interesting story about Jack and David Ormsby Gore. They were going traveling in Europe in the summer of 39. David arrived at Prince's Gate, and when he opened his suitcase, which had in it about 35 books, two shirts, and a pair of pants, Rose was impressed. When Jack came downstairs, Rose said, Let me see your suitcase. And she was mortified to find that there were hardly any books in his She made it a policy thereafter that whenever her kids went anywhere, she would check the suitcase and make sure they had enough books to learn something. Follow-up question, and he subsequently became ambassador to the U.S., right? Yes. This is David Ormsby Gore. He became ambassador to the United States. He was an important advisor to Jack Kennedy during his presidency, helping him with his relationship with the Soviet Union and advising him how to be courageous while not being foolhardy in international relations. He facilitated Kennedy's relationship with Prime Minister McMillan, who became a confidant and friend of Kennedy. David and Jack were very close, and it was a wonderful relationship. Oh, so many spiderwebs in our tale. Okay, so after this country house party weekend at Cliveden, Lady Jean Ogilvie continued introducing Kick to members of the quote-unquote cousinhood 
including Deborah Mitford, one of our infamous Mitford sisters and future Duchess of Devonshire. Kick and Deborah become quick friends. In June of 1938, Kick will meet Andrew Cavendish's older brother, William. William, Marquess of Hardington, first son of the 10th Duke of Devonshire, and his wife, Lady Mary Gascoigne Cecil. She's a Duchess of Devonshire. Go back to those episodes from a few weeks ago. It really does all connect. William Cavendish, known as Billy. He's the first son, primogeniture. Woohoo! Billy's born December the 10th, 1917. And because of being the first and being a boy, Billy is in line to become the next Duke of Devonshire. Billy is three years older than Kick, who was born in 1920. And Billy, whoa, he's got all the right moves, y'all. He's educated at Eton and Trinity College. And Kick, to this point, has known Andrew, the second son. But whoa, the personalities of Billy and Andrew could not be more different. Andrew was energetic and high-strung, where Billy is reserved, maybe a little bit more passive. He's shy. Billy is not like the American boys that Kit Kennedy knows. Worth a mention here that there were many jealousies between Billy and Andrew. Andrew was, of course, jealous of Billy's status as the first son and heir. Billy was jealous of Andrew's social ease and popularity with the opposite sex. A little bit of a fun bit here, because it's too good not to mention. Billy and Andrew have a sister that wowza, Lady Elizabeth Georgina Alice Cavendish. She was born April the 24th, 1926, younger than both Billy and Andrew, but with a biography that you would not believe. Lady Elizabeth, the daughter of the 10th Duke of Devonshire, was a British noblewoman. She grows up as a childhood friend of Queen Elizabeth II. Lady Elizabeth will be a lady-in-waiting to Princess Margaret from the late 1940s up to Princess Margaret's death in 2002. Also, Princess Margaret might have much to thank or credit or not credit Lady Elizabeth for it is noted that Lady Elizabeth Cavendish introduced Princess Margaret to Antony Armstrong Jones in 1951, Princess Margaret's future husband. Lady Elizabeth will also be godmother to Princess Margaret and the Earl of Snowden's son, David. Lady Elizabeth Cavendish, although she will never marry, is the longtime lover of John Bitumen, who we talked about on Not Done Yet, Attached to the bright young things, the bright young people, John Bitumen was a prolific writer at this time in our story of future poet laureate, but Lady Elizabeth and John Bitumen remain involved up to his death in 1984. That little Lady Elizabeth spiderweb was too good, not to mention before we move into the love affair with Billy and Kick. So here we have Billy Cavendish, eldest son Set up with an assured future thanks to primogeniture, Billy is also a Sagittarius to Kick's Pisces. Both of these mutable signs ruled each by the planet Jupiter. Jupiter is the planet associated with the principles of growth, expansion, healing, prosperity, good fortune, and miracles. The archer and the fishes, right? The couple is really attracted to each other, but neither Kick nor Billy 
think there could be any future in starting a relationship. This is more of a Romeo and Juliet thing. It's forbidden love. As, oh no, their families do not at all in any way agree on religion. Religious differences breaking couples apart since the time of Henry VIII. Kick is staunchly Catholic, and Billy is just as much the other way Protestant. Any heirs would be raised as Protestants, and this relationship is not smooth sailing (laughs) at all. I'm going to let Will Swift explain it this way. What kind of an interesting point of view here. Uh, Will Swift says, Now, speaking of kick, the Irish Catholic Kennedys came to Protestant London hoping to get away from some of the prejudice against them at home. And one of the things they encountered, even as social doors were opened wide for them, was extraordinary anti-Catholic prejudice in England as well. And who did kick fall for? but the scion of the most Protestant, most anti-Catholic family in all of England. And he was Billy Hardington, heir to the Duke of Devonshire. And I want to read a letter. The Duke of Devonshire was a close friend of Nancy Astor, who is one of the great characters in the book. Nancy Astor was also very anti-Catholic, but because she was American-born, she took to the Kennedys nonetheless and became very close to Kick. The Duke was very fond of Kick, but wary of her. What he wrote captures the kind of attitude that Joe and Rose were fighting against. It helps explain why they were so ambitious. Here's what he said, writing to Nancy Astor about Kick. Quote, She's very sharp, very witty, and so sweet in every way. The Irish blood is evident, of course, and she's no great beauty, but her smile and her chatty enthusiasm are her salvation. I doubt, of course, she'd be any sort of match for our Billy. And this is the key phrase, even if we manage to get her out from under the papal shadow. Oh my... The attraction between the couple grows. Maybe the more forbidden it is, the more exciting it gets. They like each other. Religion be damned. Here's another anecdote from Will Swift. He's bringing up another picture of Billy and Kick. And he says, now, she had her revenge on the Duke of Devonshire. This would be Billy's father. Here they are at the Café de Paris nightclub one of the fashionable London clubs of that era. They went there one night. This would be Billy and Kick. And who did they see but the Duke of Devonshire having dinner with his mistress? This would be Billy's father, Will Swift continues. So she had a leg up on him. Now, as you can imagine, Rose Kennedy was horrified that Kick was interested in Billy, as were his parents. But they underestimated Kick. She had that same determination that Jack Kennedy had, and she won over Billy. But y'all, it is a terrible time to fall in love with a boy who lives across the sea. As World War seemed more and more likely, Joe Kennedy, a fervent believer in appeasement, will send his family home to the United States for safety. Kick begs to stay. In London, she feels like London has become a home for her, She doesn't want to leave her friends, and she certainly doesn't want to leave Billy. 
Kick and Joe fight for weeks. Kick is a determined 19-year-old. She comes up with every alternative. I'll stay here and volunteer, Dad. I can do my share here. But Joe isn't going for it. And Kick does not have, yet in her core, the ability to say no to Dad. Yet. On September the 1st, 1939, Hitler does invade Poland. And World War is now, for sure, coming. The Kennedys are coming home except for the ones that will be leaving to go to war, Joe and Jack. Kick is leaving her love Billy across the sea, and Rosemary is kept in her supportive, wonderful school in London until it is unsafe for Rosemary to be there. Rosemary returns in May of 1940. The United States will declare war on Germany in December of 1941, and it is to the early 1940s that we will return for the conclusion of Kick's arc and the story of the Kennedy family, too. Still, even with World War looming, we'll be in the good times, although the family doesn't know that yet. There is so much coming for Kick and her family in the coming decade and decades beyond. I hope you stay curious and keep on investigating by tuning in next week for part two where we will continue with the rest of the story and where the melody haunts our reverie in the stardust of a song. If you are looking for a little bit more in the meantime, please come and check out all the good things happening over on patreon.com slash done and done. Lots of good bonus goodies over there that all connect into the tapestry that is our man, Dominic Dunn. Thank you again for spending your time with me today. I am so grateful for you. Yeah, you. You've got that thing. Until we meet again, friends, I'm sending all the wonderful your way. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Done and Done Podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.